Welcome to another episode of Know Your Breeder. For those of you new here, I'm Banner, and I don't want you to spend six months growing out a pack of seeds that are made by someone that you don't know anything about. Uh, so we try to talk to breeders and get a kind of feel for uh, what they're all about. And then next time you're trying to make a seed selection, uh, you kind of have a better idea if that pack is going to work for you. And today, by very popular request, I've got a numerous requests for uh Dragon from Dragon's Flame Genetics, uh, and so he's going to be joining us on the show. Uh, Guru, do you have him on the line there? I do. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Hey, welcome, my friend. Uh, go ahead and give yourself a shout out. Tell everybody where you're at and what you're smoking on. Hey, everyone. Um, so I'm uh, currently in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, Eugene area, and I'm smoking on some of uh, my modified Macberry Moonshine that was grown by... Can Essentials uh, here in Eugene. They're a, a rec farm. Oh, very cool, man. And uh, I was browsing through um, your feed and I, I noticed, and I don't know the story, I was hoping you'd share a little bit with us, but uh, you are you originally from Oregon and then you moved to Hawaii for a bit and now you're uh, back in Oregon? Yeah, so I'm originally, I grew up in California and um, then I did eight seasons in Oregon in the Willamette Valley area. Um, like Cottage Grove and then Marcola. Um, and then, yeah, we moved to Hawaii just before the pandemic hit. We moved in January of 2020 and uh, we bought a jungle lot and built a, a house out there. And, um, you know, just ended up Hawaii just wasn't for us. We uh, missed home. Oregon felt like home. And both of my, my family and my wife's family both developed health health issues and then the way the pandemic kind of unfolded it it really showed us how important you know family support was and uh so we moved back we've been back now in oregon uh about three months no about two two months now roughly okay that's that's uh that's wild i mean you you got to grow while you were out in hawaii too right yeah yeah we um i had a 12 by 30 flower greenhouse a 20 by 20 flower greenhouse and a 20 by 20 veg. Um, and so in Hawaii, it's always flower time. So you kind of, uh, you run lights instead of um, deprive them of light, like yeah. you would here on the mainland to get them the flower. It's the opposite. You run light to keep them in veg. And uh, so that's pretty much, you know, how we were doing it out there. We were on the tropical wet side. So at our spot, like 300 to 500 inches of rain was pretty much the norm with uh daytime humidity always over 80 percent and then nighttime humidity would be you know usually 90 to 99 percent humidity so really wet tropical jungle type climate um was really tough to grow in especially compared to to oregon or california especially yeah and now is it like that all year round or is it just seasonal no it's all year round um they're equatorial so the days are pretty you know pretty similar there is um, like the hurricane monsoon season, like during the summer, it'll be uh, hotter and, and more humid. And then obviously you have the chance of hurricanes. Like when we were there, there was two near misses um, where we still had on our property, we still had hurricane force winds. It just wasn't called a hurricane anymore. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely, it's an island and it was out in the jungle and it was a pretty interesting uh, place to grow. Um, 
you know, and then not only that, but trying to cure, trying to dry your flour, um, you know, it's the kind of climate where if you roll a joint and you take too long rolling it, you know, you're talking with your friends and it just takes too long to roll it. Or if you, you know, roll it, put it behind your ear and go do something or just leave it on your counter for a couple of minutes and you come back and try to fire it up. It's not going to light. It's not going to burn because it literally picks up all that humidity in the air. Um, so That's I mean, wild. for a grower or a smoker, it's a pretty, it's a pretty rough place to, to be. What, uh, what kind of varieties did you grow while you were there? Were you growing kind of the same things that you brought from Oregon or did you pick up some new local kind of stuff? Or it sounds like it's a kind of specific climate. It's got to be challenging to. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Um, I, I mailed my whole seed collection over, um, when we moved and then I had given cuts to, you know, different people. Um, and so when we moved, I had, you know, some of, some of my breeder cuts sent out to me. Um, and then we did a lot of seed. That's what it really came down to is we'd have to pop massive amounts of seed, let Hawaii kill off the first wave of weeds. Yeah. Um, you know, anything that gets, that gets mold, anything that the pests are going to love, you're going to see it really damn fast. Um, you know, usually in veg, you can already weed out, you know, 80% of the seed population you can weed out just from the very beginning. Um, you know, just because the climate is so, is so tough. Um, so we did acquire like the skunk dog cut was the big one that, you know, it's notorious out there. Everyone grows it because it's so mold and mildew resistant. And also Centoria um, is another one of the big funguses there and a stem rot. And, you know, it's, you know, very resistant to those as well. Um, where most strains that are resistant, they're resistant to like two or three of them and they'll have one weakness. Um, the skunk dog is a cut that, you know, across the board is pretty, pretty resistant. Um, and then I also dived into a lot of like land race, heirlooms, um, you know, stuff from other tropical climates with the hope, you know, growing stuff that, you know, was in a similar, similar region, you know, like stuff from India, stuff from Shillong, Thai, Cambodia, you know, the long flower equatorial stuff. We hunted through a lot of that kind of um, work as well, you know, looking for things that, you know, could really thrive. And I was also always looking for stuff. I mean, we have greenhouse space, but we also had acreage. So I was always hoping to find something that didn't even need to be in the greenhouse that could take the full brunt of the rain. Because um, even going covered to uncovered is a huge difference, you know, getting 300 inches of rain up, you yeah. know, compared to not. Um, so it's definitely, I mean, it's a, it's a hard place to grow, but it definitely taught me a lot and it definitely showed me, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of a lot of the lines that I was running. So that was, you know, I was really able to push, push more seasons and a lot more work through because of how fast everything turns around and just how fast you can select. Yeah. It's amazing. As I hear you describing it is, uh, it sounds really challenging. All I could think of is how much you must've learned while you were there. Just yeah. battling through all of those problems. And, it, and it's funny, you're talking about how you can, you got to roll your joint really quick out here. It's exactly the opposite. You got to roll yeah. it before it just dries out and crumbles. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, so it's just completely opposite from, from where you're, you're from. Right. And, and, yeah. uh, uh, the other one I wanted to ask you about, I was flipping through your feed and um, there's a Vietnamese black on there. And I kind of been having this recurring theme on the show about 
bud that looks like something that you wouldn't want to smoke, but it's actually amazing. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to ask you because this is a really good example of it. I, uh, I think Guru's got it up on the screen here and there's, there's a handful of uh, nugs and they look like uh, almost like pipe cleaners. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, know, I wanted to ask you talking about. The, 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 yeah, the Vietnamese black. So I want to uh, ask you about that one. Yeah. So that is um, a preservation that I did. Um, it's based off of John from Snow High Seeds' stock. Um, and I went through uh, several packs that I had, you know, sourced and selected for what actually worked in Hawaii. Um, I only eliminated the ones that Hawaii itself eliminated. Um, so in that one, there ended up being three females and I believe four males. Um, and then one of them, actually, I think it was three males. So I think one of them ended up throwing some female parts early in flower. So I pulled it. Um, but that's, so that's a somewhat more open um, pollination, you know, having multiple males and females. Um, but I mean, you can see it in the photo. There's no commercial value, you know, No, it, it, you know, it's, it's long flowering. It does not get dense at all. Like it, you know, it'll make, they look when it's flowering, it'll look like huge buds. Um, but they're just very open. Um, and so when it dries, you know, you end up with that string of calyxes, just, you know, you can just pull them right off with your finger and, um, you know, roll those up. But what it is, is it's an effect. Um, it's, you know, that true different headspace, like different colors look different. Um, you know, the way you, the way your thought processes just feel different. Um, you know, it doesn't really have any of the body. It's just that pure mind bending, um, you know, mind expanding type high that, you know, I personally, I love, you know, I love that. Um, you know, and it's one, obviously I, you know, it's more of a connoisseur, like it's something to experience. Yeah. You know, obviously I don't expect anyone to fill rooms or warehouses with the Vietnamese black, but, you know, for something to, to get that true, um, a true heirloom with nothing modern in it, like no outside influence, yeah. just the pure, you know, and that's, that's what that line is about. How, uh, how long did that flower for? Um, that example, I believe he said he pulled that at 14 weeks. 14 weeks. Okay. So that's yeah. not super crazy. I'm... Yeah. And that, that, you know, that's on the early side. Um, I would say, um, you know, I would expect more 14 to 18 would be the more norm. Um, you know, it's one of those things. You could pull at 14 and that's, you know, where he was at. Um, he was in a tent. Um, but I mean, the, you know, the longer you're willing to give them, the, you know, the more intense, the more story, the more racing the, the high will become. Yeah. And I was just thinking as you were describing them, you were saying that like the buds are really big, but they're very open. And I can't help but think like that makes a lot of sense if it's coming from a place that's ultra humid. Yeah. Like, like the jungle, right? Cause then it, it is, it's less, less prone to rotting. I would have, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything that helps airflow, um, you know, that's what, it, that's, what's key. And it has on those true really jungly, they, they have like almost little points inside the flowers. 
that, you know, when you look at it, you're almost like, man, is that a herm? What is that? It just doesn't look right. Yeah. But then when you see it in action in the jungle, you can actually see what it's for. Dew will come off the buds and the rain will come off the buds and onto the points and drop right off. Uh, Whereas, that makes sense. You know, normal stuff. That's a cool it adaptation. It, it sinks in and it, all that water is there. Um, so it, it seemed to me that it was all of the really resistant thin leaf phenos that I saw all have that trait to some degree. Um, so, you know, I just think it's one of those things. It's just something that you see as a, you know, to evolve. Because we're talking extreme humidity. I mean, most stuff can't take 99% humidity. In no flower way. Consistently. You know, that's just, that's unheard of. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, I don't expect, you know, like I said, I don't expect to see warehouses full of it though. No, not at all. Um, but at the same time, and the, not to go on off a ramp, but, uh, I kind of giggle when I see, like, if you go to the, the shop and they have like gummies and they'll have like indica, uh, sativa mm -hmm. and a hybrid. And, and I just, when I see something like this, it's like, bro, this is a, a sativa, yeah. <laughs> you know, and nobody's making concentrates with that. So I think it's really cool that, uh, you know, people who are uh, growing at home or if you live in like a climate where that does well, that's super cool to be able to run uh, just a completely different plant like that and then enjoy that amazing high after 14 weeks. And that's one of yeah. those things where you're like, hey, man, try some of this, bud. And, and whoever you give it to is like completely unimpressed until they smoke it. Yeah. And, then, you know, uh, that's always a good time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, hey, I'm going to rewind just a minute. Um, how did you get into growing? Um, so I was in a group home um, when I was a teenager um, in junior high. And so that was my first experience was smoking in San Francisco. And um, I, you know, I fell in love first time. And um, so as a high school kid, I grew up in a rural area. Um, so we would hide plants, you know, just backseed and We'd give it our best. I don't remember ever smoking anything that was nice out of any of that, but, you know, we tried, um, you know, just sneaking plants wherever we could, wherever we thought that we could get them to, you know, to do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once I got my own place as an adult, uh, started indoor and doing, you know, at, in the early times, pretty, some pretty ghetto tech, like, uh, <laughs> rewiring those old, um, like barn ballast, you know, the huge, they got the huge dome and the ballast on top, like rewiring those that like you get for next to nothing. Um, and, you know, doing the ballast outside the room type of thing. And, um, you know, for me, um, I love growing. I love being in the garden. Uh, I love being able to see the cycles, you know, the, the routine that you get um, when you have a, a garden going. I found was, you know, really spoke to me. And so once I started growing, you know, I've never stopped. It's, you know, and it's become like when Dragonflame oh. Genetics, you know, the seed brand, I never expected that to happen. That was just, it just kind of evolved that way. Um, and now I can't picture my life any other way. Um, you know, I love, especially full-term gardening. Um, there's something really special about uh, plants in transition that are over your head, casting a shadow on you. There's just, there's just no feeling in the world that I've, I've found that's um, like walking among the giants. Um, so that's, you know, that's been my, my life's pursuit, my life's passion. And, you know, the seed branches 
branched off from that. Um, you know, just just loving the plant. I mean, that's I think that's what it's all about. I can tell, brother, and I can tell that you have a lot of uh, experiences, like just learning stuff, growing, and um, mm-hmm. I, and I and I've seen the the phrase, uh, what is it, um, full term monster plants, mm-hmm. right? And that so you're talking, what does that mean to you? You're talking about like the big trees that you're growing outside that you're just describing, yeah. and the full yeah, term. So, what, what's that all about? So full term meaning the full season. Um, you know, it came about because of the medical era when you have plant counts. Um, you know, if you could only grow 24 plants or 99 plants, well, you got to make all 24 or 99 of them. You got to make it count. Um, you know, and that's that's what really like I do indoor as well. Like I've done, you know, big 40 light rooms. It's it's cool. It's fun. It's whatever. But for me, it's the full term gardens that really speak to me. Um, starting seeds in the in the as early in the spring as you can, tending them, you know, seeing how how big you can get them, um, you know, usually huge pots or in the grounds or in you know big living soil beds is usually how I would grow outdoor. Um, and so almost all of my breeding work is tailored for for the outdoor grower, especially um, that's what I'm known for. Um, you know, I, I do indoor, like I said, you know, and it's nice to have control. Um, but I really, for me anyway, that's my happy place is, is working, um, you know, in the big plants and, uh, it's, it's, it's never, it never gets old, especially when they go into flower, there's just an energy in the garden. You can feel it, you know, to your core, uh, when they're starting to flower and then, you know, just being able to walk out every day and smell see you know see how they're doing the changes that i mean they change so fast and so also so subtly and you know the more time you you know you're in your garden the more time you get to see and experience you know every season um you know and every season i try to do new stuff you know so it's new genetics and seeing okay well what what are they going to look like this year what are the smells going to be this year and seeing a new project or the continuation of a project come to fruition you know there's something really really special about that. Yeah, that's amazing. It's just uh, a focusing on, yeah, that whole thing. You got one shot at it, kind of like mm-hmm. how it used to be. And um, the, the other person, and I'm, I'm imagine you might even know him, uh, that I see doing that is uh, Jay Plant Speaker, right? Mm-hmm. He's got a, he's, yeah. he's doing that style where he's just got these huge, huge plants and it's the same thing, right? It's except probably from a cut, but the idea being that, that that's it all season and you're maximizing it. And yeah. uh, it, it is amazing because uh, so many of us grow inside. And so that to see that huge, full, ex, fully expressed plant outside is really cool. There's a handful of folks I see doing it on Instagram that just have literally trees. It looks like mm-hmm. it looks like an apple tree or something, literally. Yeah. Right. But um, anyways, I'm always amazed by just, yeah, those gi- <laughs> gigantic trees and kind of like walking among them is, is really cool. It's a completely different experience from uh, growing inside. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's full term is like a marathon. You don't get days back. You know, you if you can't keep your plants happy, you don't ever get that time back. It will show it shows in how the plant, you know, ends up. Um, so it's definitely it's like a race against yourself to, you know, to maximize their health, to maximize every single factor that is inside of your control. 
Um, and so that's, you know, like almost like a personal challenge to see what you can do every year. Um, but obviously, you know, I, I, you know, I know most of the market is indoor, you know, doing the big trees is a dying, even the rec grows don't do that anymore They take way more work. You know, most people are going smaller plants, pack them in, yeah. you know, that's more the direction that things are going. Um, so I, you know, I also am conscious of that in my breeding as well to be working, you know, things for the, you know, the more space conscious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody yeah, exactly. can grow a, a huge tree like that. So are, are these plants uh, that you're talking about like this, are they a hundred percent outside or do they get any kind of shelter? Cause I just imagine, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket, so to say for the, the season is like all you, it takes like one pretty gnarly storm and it can ruin it all. Um, usually I would do um, like a simple hoop house, like usually just a 20 foot uh, PVC bow. Um, you know, and you know, as many as you need to do. Like, so when I would do usually a 48 plant garden was usually what I was doing. Um, so usually I would start, you know, several hundred seeds and be weeding through, looking for the best, looking for the best stem rubs, looking for the most vigor. Um, and so, you know, usually I would do, you know, at least a 50 foot greenhouse, you know, just plastic, just enough to keep the frost off, just enough to, you know, give them a little shelter um, and a little extra warmth. Um, where I was at in Oregon, it's pretty cold still in the spring a lot of times. Um, you know, so for the females that were going full term, you know, those I would usually, you know, baby them a little bit. But I've also always had indoors going at the same time. No, so knowing if something did, like if a deer comes through and eats, you know, eats them all or a storm, you know, something happens. Yeah knowing I at least have backups inside that I can pull out really quick and transition and replace. I mean, I've seen plants that have been replaced in, you know, late June, early July, still do several pounds. I mean, you can still get a, a good sized plant out of the replacement. Obviously it's not going to be, you know, the hugest in the garden, but it'll still do, you know, something for you. Um, with males on the opposite, like when I select through males, I beat the living crap out of them. I do everything you're not supposed to do. Take them indoors, straight outdoors, full sun, see if they cook underwater, over water, leave them root bound. Um, you know, let them, let them get frosted, let the snow fall on them. And, you know, I only can use usually one male a year and it takes me a full year to know if a male is worthy or not. So I'm, you know, I start a ton extra and just anything that's not impressive, anything that's weak, anything that can't take, you know, the elements just, it's not even worth it. Just cut and go on to the next one. I was going to ask you if you like let them die or if you actually call them. Once I've decided that they're weak, I'll call them. Yeah. Cause it's always, you know, I, I'm not permitted. So plant count is always something that's in the back of my mind. I don't really care if I'm over plant count, but yeah. you know, I am conscious when I have 500 plants going that, you know, maybe you should just call and, you know, start bringing the numbers <laughs> down. Um, so that, that by the time everything's in flower, you know, usually I've weeded down pretty hard to a more less risky number. It, it's amazing how plant count numbers you can you can sort of justify in your your brain getting higher and mm -hmm. higher. It's like, no, man, that's yeah. not five hundred. It's like it's like yeah. two hundred, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I can just see the news story. You know, oh, nine million dollars seized. You know, 
in, in canopy. And I'm like, man, I wish I had $9 million of flowers sitting here. I know, right? Well, yeah, if you sold it like a microgram at a time. Yeah, the cop yeah. numbers. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so I'm curious to learn a little bit more about uh, sort of the lines and the, the seeds that you have the one there's a few that caught my attention uh on your on your site um the first one was dragon stash for obvious reasons and um yeah i thought it was really cool and by the way uh for everybody that's gonna go uh check out dragon's website um there's actually a lot of good information and descriptions uh in the the listings there and you'll notice that like dragon stash actually has like just straight up, it sounds like there's a green version and a red version. That's that's really cool if you're looking for something in particular, right? They both sound yeah, delicious so, and they look beautiful. Like like wow, look at that. Yeah, the the Dragon Stash is my um, flagship line. It's my longest running um, project. I've got a decade of selections into the Dragon Stash now. Um, the current release is F3, and so when I did my F2. Let me back up. The original cross was the hard dick blues that I made to the orange OG SR71 purple kush. And that came from a friend of mine, Tree Man Buds, who's uh, based outside of Yosemite. And so that's where I started the quote unquote dragon stash. That was the first one that got ever got named. That was that cross. Okay. And I've since taken it to F3. Um, and so in my, in my, observations going from F2 to F3 is one of the most crucial steps in um, narrowing down a line. You can make a great selection and you end up with the traits you were looking for, but if you make a bad selection, you can inadvertently lose a lot of the traits that you wanted to keep in your line. Um, and so when I did my F2 to F3, I originally had three males that were distinctly different, but they just all they all just were calling to me and I couldn't choose. So it was one of those things I was like, okay, I'm going to have to breed with all three of you, test the prodigy and see which one of you is actually passing the best traits. And so the original three, you know, I did controlled breedings with and, you know, ran through the crosses and some of those did make release. Um, you know, and usually what I would do is all three, all three of the males were, were really solid males. I shouldn't say that too. Um, what ended up being the best one for for my personal beliefs and for what I observed was I call him the red male. He has a red stem, red pedials, um, and red flower clusters. You know, most people have that follow me for a little bit have eventually see the flower photos of him. I've got some that have like bees visiting. That's usually what people see is that bee photo. Okay. Um, with the red male, and so once I once I had proven which male was the best, I ended up giving him a full 48 plant, full-term garden outdoors. So he seeded plants that would have been three to six pounds of flower. And so I made a ton of, of stock off of him. Yeah. Um, and though that's a lot of those crosses are now what have gone on to my website um, to be released just because for one, I was eight, I had so much stock I gave out so many of those as testers and I gave out so many as freebies that now there's photos everywhere. I mean, there's, I've yet to see a bad dragon stash cross. Um, you know, he just brought so many good traits to the table. Usually he lets the mom shine through, but puts it on something 
that you can do in Canada and Vermont and Massachusetts. You can do it in Hawaii. You know, you can do it in all these different climate zones because it's just so damn resistant. Um, and a lot of them get the red stem, the red petiole, and the red flowers, which when you see red flowers in person, it's not something you soon forget. Um, so, I mean, he makes some very beautiful crosses. Um, and then so the F3 green version and versus the red version, there was a F2 green mom, as in green stem, green pedial, with like a really nice fresh citrus peel kush puppy breath type turp. Um, one of like I love that profile. Um, so Same. it's one, you know, I, and she does absolute crushes outdoors. Uh, she comes out usually purple, you know, has, sometimes she'll even have some red, but usually she's more purple and green. So that's the mom of the F3 green version. And then I also use a matching female to the male, a red stem, red pedial, red flower clusters, um, F2 mom to make the F3 red version. And so that one comes out like, blueberry with with like a fuel raunch underneath it and like a lot of blueberries get that soap side to the profile yeah and this has none of that i don't really like the soap side of blueberries um in the typical blueberry phenos that i've seen over the years um so this is like actual blueberry with fuel with like that purple kush sr71 raunchy note behind it um also crushes outdoor, gets huge, takes whatever amount of rain the climate is going to throw at it. We'll take snow, we'll take frost. Really? You know, all around, wow. really solid outdoor lines. Um, and so that's the parents of what is currently released, the F3s. I'm starting to get low stock on those. So I'm planning to do my F4 selection um, probably the end of this year, I'm hoping. Um maybe might do it next year and i think i might go feminize this time and do a feminized f4 um the market just the market wants fems way more than it wants regulars yeah um so i think i might and at, at f4 i'm expecting it to be you know i want something that's fairly stable and it might even be easier with you know just reversing a, a keeper onto itself maybe doing it that way or see i haven't really decided how that's going to play about that'll probably be you know what plants come out of it and what they what they tell me they need to when, done when, to them when you do that will it it'll be 10 it'll tend either closer to the red or to, closer to the green when you yeah i'll probably yeah i'll probably pop the f3 stock um of the red pheno just because i i tend to prefer the blueberry fuel um phenotypes over the citrus i like the citrus a lot but the blueberry fuel just speaks to me more yeah. um and it has a really nice anti-anxiety uh functional like you can get shit done without like the stress of life so to speak yeah um but it's not debilitating which is one of the one of the things that i really like about it you can still get your shit done yeah you don't get um, pinned to the chair yeah uh, it, it looks absolutely beautiful. It sounds delicious. Do you know where the red comes from? It was just one of those things that popped up in running a lot of the F1s. Um, you know, and I, I don't select for color. 
Uh, it's not, it, I observe it and I will say if I, if it's there, but it's not something I select for. It just so happens that in this line, the red phenos also happen to be some of the most terpene rich and one of my favorite terp profiles. And they're also highly resistant. So it was like huh. the fact that it also is colorful. Well, cannabis is beautiful. That's, <laughs> that would be my explanation for that. I wonder if it's related. It could be. I wonder if there's something about that terp that insects don't like or the color. They don't like red, do they? Um, so far, that's that's been my observation. Um, you know, and it's hard to say if it's if it's the, in the genetics or if it's in the in the terp profile itself. You know that that's you know I I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, I have a couple, uh, uh, there's some other ones that you had um, up on your feed. It looked like the most recent one. I think we, we talked about the Vietnamese black, that that was cool. Uh, and then there was another one, um, I wanna say, it was the your new back cross, is that uh, Macberry, Macberry Moonshine? Oh, so the Blackberry Moonshine, Black, okay. uh, BX1. So I have several um, Moonshine versions uh, the Blackberry Moonshine is the the most famous one at this point. Um, beautiful colors, beautiful bag appeal, uh, skunky tangerine, um, kind of candy turp profile. Um, really fast flowering yield, great. I mean, it's it's really nice line. I'm pretty proud of how that one came out. Um, so that I have the, my breeder cut is in Node Labs and being distributed. Anyone can pretty much get it from them oh, no um, through tissue culture. So that's, you know, it's been making its rounds, you know, from them. And then also the seed line um, has actually been released for a few years now. It's actually sold out um, on my end. Um, so that's one I'll be reversing that, that breeder cut to make S1s. And then I'm also going to do a BX2 with it. And then I have my big project that I'm doing right now, I just flipped, is like a sister line. It's the modified Macberry Moonshine. So it's the same dad, the Dragon's Moonshine, to the GMO. GMO. And the, instead of the Blackberry Moonshine. Um, so it's GMO to Blackberry Moonshine 12 to Mac is the full three-way cross. Um, and so this cut was found by Can Essentials here in Eugene. Their first run was 26 cents and change THC and 4.87 terps. And then their second run came out at like 29 THC and just shy of 6% terps. And it's like a garlic, skunky, um, raunchy. It's kind of has that GMO, like garlic BO kind of side, yep. but with way more skunk added in. Um, and it flowers in eight weeks instead of 13. Um, similar yield, similar bag appeal, um, just faster. And I, I prefer the skunk over the like kind of Thai food almost that you get from the GMO. Yeah. Um, the kind of this, it's kind of, she's a hard one to really narrow down, especially because, you know, some people pull her earlier, so you don't really get the full full profile but um i'm reversing that one to make s1s 
So I'll make uh, S1 modified Magberry Moonshine. And I'm also going to use that reversal pollen to seed some um, modern hype, whatever you want to call them, you know, more mainstay strains as well that people are already pretty familiar with. Um, at this spot that we just moved into, I don't have a huge canopy, so I kind of have to be pretty pretty selective about what I can do. Um, and she was, since we're restarting, it was really awesome to have a pet that it came out of my genetics, yeah, not my selection, but at least it's out of my genetics. Yeah, and um, you know, so I'll be working with her for the first part of this year. So you're so is this year you're going to get everything back rolling again? It sounds like this year oh yeah yeah we um we pretty much already are the cycle already flips well the reversal side so i i flipped my reversals two weeks before i flipped the plants that will be pollinated yeah. so the ones that are being sprayed with sts have already flipped um and they'll they'll get a couple of sprays of sts before the the main part of the cycle that will be seeded flips gotcha do you have outdoors this year as well or no no, not this season. Um, this season we got to the mainland just, you know, it was already June. Um, you know, plants are usually already in the ground by June. Yeah. It was just, you know, it just didn't happen this year, but hopefully for next season. When do you, when do you start uh, getting ready for the season next year? Pretty early in the, the year. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally I'd like to, I'd like to start seeds by February, March at the latest. Okay. Is usually when I would pop seed. So you'll have, you, you got time to get uh, some new seeds out and then you'll run those next, next summer. Yep. That's, uh, that's my hope is I would like to get these modified, the modified and the Blackberry Moonshine reversal done before next year. So I like to pop those for my season next year. Cool. Ideally. And just run them outside. How long can you uh, typically go in the fall where you are? Um, It's pretty variable. I would say anything past October 1st is a win um, okay. here in the Willamette Valley. Some years you get really lucky. Um, and then the other thing too I've noticed here is you have windows. So like you could have your fast flowering stuff, you know, finishing at the end of September, the beginning of October. And you might get a little rain that first week of October, but the stuff that doesn't finish until the end of October isn't so far into flower yet. That, that little bit of rain is going to you know cause too much harm yeah so i kind of you know usually i try to stagger where you know i have some early i have some mid and i have some you know not very many usually i do the late season kind of like a smaller percentage of the garden yep um that and it kind of helps break up the drying space as well where you know you can have some stuff that's already coming down off the line and you know you're refilling instead of one huge crop like oh shit where is it all gonna go yeah you know i hear that more and more because back in the day everybody's just running cycles and you're flipping uh, you know as soon as you can more or less turning it over as soon as you can i i hear from uh, a lot of people now are just growing uh different varieties at the same time so you get like one that finishes uh, early and you can enjoy that at, let's say eight weeks and uh you know while you're waiting all the way up to 14 for one of those longer varieties and when you're all done it's a lot less work all at once kind of spreads it out and that's kind of cool it's just one of those changes from uh you know when you're growing kind of legally at home uh versus you know having to you know commercial crop and get everything churned over as fast as possible and all finished at once and so forth you know 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And another cool. thing I like to do too, especially in uh, if we're if we're having a decent year, is sometimes I'll pull all the outside tops and let all the inner stuff, especially on the big plants, you know, where you've got several layers of cage, you know, pull the outside layer of the cage, let that dry. The stuff that wasn't getting as much light can chunk up and especially if you end up having, you know, kind of an Indian summer where, you know, you, you have a nice, a nice dry fall. Um, you know, it's really, that's the thing with outdoor though, is you're dependent on nature, you know, some years, some years, October 1st, and we'll have no more sunshine and nothing but rain. You know, that's, that's Oregon. Um, you know, it's just kind of roll with the punches. Yeah. It, it, do you have, um, so is it kind of like a, like a 3d scrog for those big trees? There's just rings of, of, uh, netting or, uh, like fencing that's supporting. Yeah. I, I like to do uh, metal fencing. Usually I do like an inner, um, like usually Buffalo fencing is what it's called or bison fencing where it's eight foot. Um, usually I put a small inner one, like, in in the still in the vegetative season yeah the earlier you get it on the easier your life will get i'm telling you that it's a lot easier for them on before yeah. they're big uh-huh. um and then pretty much throughout the season um especially in a great season you know i'll have two or three layers on top of that that just get bigger and bigger and then pretty much my style is i pull the branches down and through so you know you want them to go out so you want you know, you want a big, wide canopy bush versus, you know, tall. just a tall, um, you know, you want as many bud sites outside as you can. And then usually the very inside cage, I'll totally clean the inside, like the very innermost. And then I'll have, you know, two, sometimes three in a great year layers outside of that that I can pull, you know, if the weather allows. Do you have a way to get in inside once you put up the outer layers? Uh, it's not really. No, it's kind of it's kind of once they're on, they're on. And once the plant's grown through it, it's grown through it. Um, some seasons I'll do, uh, especially when I set up new gardens, I've seen where like I've, I've kind of evolved it a little bit where you could have an opening on one end, you know, with your T-post so that you can kind of still crawl in. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, usually I would do like, um, like go to the Dollar Tree and get the pool floaties because that, those metal fences cut the living shit out of you. Um, if you, you know, don't have the, the ends covered. Yeah. Um, so that usually I'll put something like that on there. And do you use a ladder? Yeah. You know, you're growing big plants if you're using a ladder to harvest and take yeah. care of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the cost of the big plants. And that's, you know, that's why people get away from them is they are, they are a lot of work. And, you know, luckily I've had, um, you know, most of my gardens have been pretty somewhat level. Um, I know some people on the Hill trying to put a, trying to put an orchid ladder on a slope is, is not always that much fun and a good way to end up on the ground. So it's, you know, they're a lot, they're a lot of work. Do you notice a difference between growing like smaller plants and those huge ones in terms of like, consume like consuming it i think the bigger plants are going to have a better chirp profile they're going to have higher chirp numbers um they take a little bit longer to finish like i do notice that smaller plants will flower faster generally okay um you know the the big ones kind of kind of take their time um 
But as far as like a smokable flower, I, you know, uh, outdoor is outdoor to, to some extent, you know, you don't notice too much of a difference between a small and a big, but um, there's a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Uh, is, is it mostly because of plant count or that you would want to grow uh, huge yeah. plants? Yeah. Plant count and the personal challenge, um, you know, it's just something that. They're cool to look at too. Yeah, they're cool to look at. They yeah. have a special vibe. And, um, you know, I'm not, I have no plans to get a rec permit. You know, I, you know, that's not in something that I have any desire to deal with the tax man and all yeah. that shit. Gotcha. Part of the reason I like growing is not having government involvement in my life. So, um, so are you it's always, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Oh, so I was just going to say, so it's always something that I have in the back of my mind that, uh, like my wife is a nurse, so it's not just me, um, you know, that I have to be concerned about. So I do kind of in the back of my mind, think about plant count. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. But I mean, like, uh, yeah, it's just seems like originally that was why, uh, cause mm -hmm. like you're saying, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of equipment. It seems a little more dangerous too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, you know, it's definitely a lot more things can go wrong. Um, you know, when their stem gets, you know, over four or five inches, it's a lot easier for them to get stem rot. Um, it's a lot easier for, you know, when they have that huge root mass, it's really easy for there to be a low spot somewhere in that soil or a heavy spot that really wants to hold water yeah. and give them some root rot down there. Um, they definitely, it's a labor of love. You know, that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, What's you know, that? and that's, there's, there's just something special about, about the big ones. Um, What's you know, but honest, and honestly, part of it though is climate. I mean, and that's like, I grew up in California where, you know, pretty much anyone can, if you, if you have good water and good sun, like almost any genetic is gonna, is gonna do really good outdoors. Um, and the, the environment itself does a lot of the work, you know, when you have hot days and dry and not a lot of rain and not a lot of snow. I mean, those are, those are factors that make for great cannabis, um, Very going cool. here in Northern Oregon and that's climate is a little bit tougher. Um, so it's, you know, okay. it's just one of those battles. Keeps you, know? you on it's, your toes, keeps you learning, I guess. And then you mm -hmm. gotta have a, a certain amount of, uh, sort of hope and resilience to keep at it yeah. in a challenging environment like that. Well, what's, yeah. the, what's the biggest one that you ever grew? Um, the biggest one I've, I've joined biggest, the 10 biggest club. tree that you've had. I've I'm in the 10 pound club. I want to join the 20 pound club. Wow. That was, I mean, it was probably 14 foot tall. Um, got probably 20 foot around at least. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, I'll throw, I've got some photos up uh, on Instagram. I mean, I've definitely Ooh. done some monsters. What's the, uh, what's the hashtag to find these, these plants on Instagram? The people who are growing um, the big trees. Instagram deletes all of my damn hashtags. I'm constantly shadow banned. I'll just have to send you some. Okay. Right on. I just want to see some more of those big, huge plants. That's really cool. Yeah. Are you, uh, do you grow anything else? Where, where you're at it sounds like a perfect place to grow other stuff too yeah i mean you, here we don't have a yard so here i'm not but in general yeah i love gardening of all varieties um in hawaii we had you know a greenhouse that was just for normal plants as well and then we did 
um, all kinds of orchids and uh, cassava. And um, they have uh, one of my favorites that I found there is the Aji Cheddar Pico. It's like a uh, Peruvian hot chili uh-huh. that they're, you know, they're little tiny, tiny little things. Um, oh man, they're so damn tasty. Ooh, I like I like pepper and I like heat. Um, and it's a very uniquely hot but tasty spice. Um, so I'm I'm hoping to get some of that going here in Oregon. Um, and then you know obviously the usual stuff like squashes and tomatoes yeah. and you know all that stuff. It was kind of, um, it was kind of a loaded question about hot peppers, and I was right. You do enjoy the hot peppers. <laughs> I don't know. There's something yeah. about it. There's a lot of lot of people that grow weed that also like the hot peppers. That's why I asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good stuff, man. Um, hey, uh, when you're not growing, w- what do you like to do? Um, I'm you know I'm honestly I'm an introvert. Uh, I like hanging out on the property. Uh, we've got two dogs, so we take our dogs you know, up in the hills and up walking and, you know, to the beach and, um, but we're, you know, pretty laid back. Um, you know, just, we like to be on the property and in the garden enjoying the garden, the outside uh, outdoors. Yeah. That sounds like a good way to live, brother. Uh, I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, uh, it was really nice of you to come on the show. I really appreciate your time for stopping by. Um, man, I love a lot of these pictures that I'm seeing from your site. So I'm sure a bunch of our uh, our friends will uh, check those out and let us know how they're how they're doing. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad uh, glad to be on. Uh, Scotty and I talked about it probably four or five years ago at the Emerald Cup, and it, you know how time goes. It just it just keeps really that was four in. or five years ago, man. Already? Yeah. I mean, I was in Hawaii for three. Wow. And I don't think it was the last year. I think it was the year before that, that we, before we moved, that we were down there at the Emerald Cup. Um, Very cool. I'd well, have to, go ahead. I'd have to, I'd have to really, I'd have to really think hard sober and look at, look at some old photos and try to figure out the timeline. But it's been a few years for sure. That sounds about right. I want to say it was 2018. Yeah, that's what I'm wanting to say too. Yeah. I didn't make it to that one, but I'm pretty sure that was the year. Yeah. But well, let's not let's uh please come on again and let's not make it four years. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Have a hey, wonderful day. Yeah, man. Have a wonderful day. Uh before we head out, please tell everybody how they can find you. Yeah, so uh my website is dragonsflamegenetics.com. Um you can find me under Instagram, dragonsflamegenetics as well. Um, and I'm, I'm always around. Yeah. So DM all your questions. Mm -hmm. Send them on over. (laughs) Right on. I will. Um, I appreciate that because uh, a lot of people do ask, um, sort of like about specific, uh, strain questions and it's hard on the show because I don't think we can get through everything. Um, but it's awesome when there are breeders like yourself that will take the time to answer people's questions. Uh, that's, that's a sign, uh, in my book that uh you know you're gonna you're gonna get something good and you know you can feel confident about buying it yeah yeah and i love talking shop about cannabis i can ramble on for hours so i'm i'm always game for that excellent all right my friend have a wonderful day and uh we'll, we'll talk to you soon yeah sounds good all right thanks for listening everybody join us again next time peace some people love to blaze up the deck yeah we get happy for noon Take a little break. Yep.
Please move.